Well, we're starting a brand new series called I Am. And this, what this message series is about is who is, who is God? Who is God? What is your category that you have for God? When you think of God, what do you think God is? What is God like? And we live in a mounting pot of, of different cultures and religious backgrounds. And, and so when you say that you believe in God, and when someone else who's of a different ethnic background or maybe a different religious background, and they say they believe in God, is it the same God? How do we know which God we believe in, right? Like, for example, how many mics do we have in the room? Put your hand up if your name is Mike. There's a mic here. Any other mics? Any other mics? Great. Oh, there's another mic here. There's two mics. At three, oh, there's three mics. At the back, we've got one of our elders of a church. Where there's a mic, is one of the elders. Now, now uh, if I, if, like, if I want to just, I, I'm thinking of one mic, how else would I identify the mic that I'm looking for? What else can I, can I say? Or what, can I, what else can I do? What kind of ideas or categories can I think in my head? Can, can I identify which mic am I talking about? Surname, right? So, Mike Cook. How many Mike Cooks are there in the room? How many Mike Cooks? There's, no, oh, there's one at the back. Okay, I've identified. I've identified one. You know, so we kind of identify people by their names, right? Their, their names, how we identify people. Now, now um, according to Facebook, according to Facebook, there are six Mike Cooks in Hamilton. Six Mike Cooks in Hamilton. So if I'm trying to identify the Mike Cook that I'm trying to identify, how else, if, let's imagine they don't have any middle names, how else would we identify which Mike Cook I'm talking about? Right? That's right. Date of birth. We'll talk about, talk about their story. What's their story? And the Mike Cook I'm talking about, he was born in England, moved over when he was very young, and he's married to an amazing woman called Desma. And that's our Mike Cook, and it's his story. And so this is how we identify people. We identify people by, by their names as well as their story. Like when you talk to some of these, these three Stevens at work, and what's Stephen? You might have uh, it's, um, Stephen the baker because he's in the baking section. Okay, we kind of identify his story. He's a baker and things like that. We, we, we connect people in stories. Now when we, when we think about God, which God are we talking about? Which God are we talking about? And so, therefore, we don't, we don't apply the same. Why don't we apply the same ideas and categories upon which God we're talking about? Like, what is God's story? Do you know God's story? Do you, does God have a personal name, or is it some generic title, G-O-D, right? And so, this, this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, to um, spin your mind a little bit. Hopefully, I didn't spin, spin it too much. And uh, I'm, I'm going to have a look at these categories we call God. And the reason why this, this title, G-O-D, is... It's so ambiguous, and it's an unfortunate translation that we use. So which God are we talking about? Now, here's this. You might know this big fancy word. It's, it's monotheism. Has anybody heard of monotheism? Right? Does anybody know what monotheism means? And, and most people think monotheism means, uh, means one God. There's only one God. Well, that's not what monotheism means. Well, that's not what monotheism means according to the Bible. Right? Monotheism according to the Bible is that we worship one God. There's a big difference. We worship one God. There are other gods out there. There are other gods out there, according to the Bible. There are other gods out there. Well, here's us, you know, for us, we're in our, 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 our post-enlightenment Western mindset. We think, oh, that stuff doesn't, there's no other kind of things out there, you know. But according to the Bible, the biblical writers, when we read the story of the Bible, there are other gods out there, and these gods are real. But we worship only one God, and this is what monotheism means in the, in the Bible. And so, therefore, we worship God. Which God do we worship? 
And let's add the story. We have a look at the story. Where do we find God's story? By opening up the Word of God. So let's open up the Word of God. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So right off the bat, the opening lines of our Bible begins to narrow down instantly, which God are we talking about? Which God are we talking about? It says, in the beginning, God, G-O-D, this word that's so ambiguous that we have different ideas, every single one of us have a different idea what this God means, that God created the heavens and the earth, right? God, what does this God mean? In Hebrew, the word for God here is Elohim. Elohim is not a name, it's a title. Elohim is not a name, it's a title, okay? And it means spiritual beings, a spiritual being. It means it's, 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 it's invisible, spiritual being. That's what Elohim means, right? In the Bible, the witch of Endor, uh, King Saul, if you're familiar with the story, King Saul goes, goes to the witch of Endor and he wants to speak to the prophet Samuel who has died and she goes to sum up and she's surprised because she sees a spiritual what did she say? She, in, in Hebrew, she sees an Elohim coming out of the ground. She sees a spirit coming out of the ground, spiritual being, Elohim. That's what it means, right? And in our Bibles, most times it's translated as God. But this word God is a spiritual being. So, which, so there are other spiritual beings out there, right? But according to page one of the Bible, it narrows it down which Elohim, which spiritual being are we looking at. And this spiritual being can spin the universe into creation. From within himself. So within himself is the resource to create all things. So all the other spiritual beings, all the other Elohims is created from this one. So there's, so there's this unique. So all of a sudden, now we're kind of narrowing down this list. Who is this Elohim? Well, this Elohim, he, he's the creator of all things. He's the creator of all the other spiritual beings. He's the creator of all the physical beings. He's the creator of all things. We, we're now, the Bible, the Bible narrative is giving us a picture of who this this Elohim is. And then let's go further into our Bible. Let's read the narrative of the Bible because we believe that the Bible is a unified story from the beginning, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's a unified story. And as we begin to read this unified story, it begins to reveal the character of God to us of which God is it? Which God is it that we serve? And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it starts off like this. It just starts, I'm just gonna, it seems pretty random. We're just starting off right in the middle of a story. And it goes, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to, what's the word in Hebrew? Went up to Elohim, right? That's the word there. Went up to Elohim, went up to the spiritual being. Which spiritual being is it? And, and, and let's keep reading. And, and I'm just going to um, just press pause here in the story. And, and so this this spiritual being, this Elohim, that um, was able to spin a world into creation. And, and he creates these creatures, these physical creatures called humanity, right? And he, and, he, and he plants a garden, and he places these creatures in the garden, Adam and Eve, right? Humanity, places them in the, and he partners with humanity. So right from the beginning, God wants to partner with you. He partners with you, and he gives them real responsibility, real choices. Do you have real responsibilities? Do you have real choices? Where does it come from? Well, he gives Adam and Eve real, uh, real responsibility, real choices, and he wants to partner with them and, and to manage this good will that he's just created. But the story doesn't go so well. When we read the Bible, when we continue reading the narrative of the Bible, the story doesn't go so well as these humans, instead of 
trusting the, the Creator's definition for what is good and evil. They seized for themselves and defined what is good and evil in their own eyes. Isn't that what we do? And I was just talking to someone just before the service about, is that what we do? Like, you can't tell me what to do because I'm seizing for myself what is good and evil in my own eyes. No one, not even God is going to tell me. And this is, this is right back to the beginning. And they seize for themselves. And, and then we learn in Genesis chapter 6 that even these other spiritual beings rebel and they fall. And, and, and so now you've got God's physical children and his spiritual children. They, they're just, this is, and this world becomes, and we read the biblical narrative, the world becomes a messy place because of this fall that's, that's taken place. You've got physical children and the spiritual children. It, just, it becomes a real messy world. So back to the story of Exodus, back to our story, going back to where we are. So, 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 people, so, so the people of God are in slavery in Egypt. They're in slavery in Egypt, and they cry out. And so what, do we, so what we'll learn about this creator God, what, what we will learn about this creator God, is that this creator God is so passionate and committed to the goodness of this world, and so passionate and committed to these humans who have turned away from him. So he's committed to, to us even when we're not committed to him. He's still committed to us. And he sets in motion a plan to rescue. He sets in a plan to rescue and save all of humanity and all of creation, right? So how does he do this? How, how does he, how, what does his plan look like? And, and when we read the biblical narrative, his plan starts with a conversation with a random guy by the name of Abraham. Anybody heard of Abraham? He has many sons. Many sons as Father Abraham. I'm one of them. I'm, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. I'll just kind of came to me just like that. Anyone know that song? Father Abraham has many sons, right? Abraham. He has this conversation with Abraham, and he, and he says, Abraham, through you and through your family, I'm, I'm going to somehow bring about the salvation of all the nations. Through you and your family, I'm going to bring this all out. I'm going to save all of humanity through you and your family. But here we find ourselves in Exodus, and in Exodus, Abraham's descendants are in slavery in Egypt. Oh, there's a bit of a problem with your plan, God, right? Through Abraham, you've seen this. Now you're in slavery. How are you going to save all of humanity, right? So we go to verse 24. God heard their groaning. So this Elohim, the spiritual being, heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So, what, so what's the narrative telling us about God? This, this, this Elohim. This Elohim who is able to, to create all things is also concerned about you. He's concerned about you. So we're still using this generic title, Elohim, right? The Bible's still using this generic title, Elohim. Who is this Elohim? But it's beginning to clue us into the story. So as we, as we read the story, we begin to see more clues of who this Elohim is. He's, a creator. He's the creator Elohim, right? And then, and then we go to verse 1 of Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And in the Bible, it has another name, Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is where, later on in the story, uh, Moses and the people of Israel will gather there, and God will give the Ten Commandments. This is, the, this, is that, this, is this, this is that mountain. There, the angel of the... And, it, and here it changes. No longer Elohim doesn't say Elohim, and, and then Elohim, it says, the angel of the, what does it say? Lord. You notice the capital letters? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's how you spell Lord, right? Capital L-O-R-D, Lord, okay? 
right? It's not, and I'm, talk, I'm not talking about a, a song called I'm Loyal, anything like that. So here we go. It's not even spelt that way. Okay, I don't care. Anyway, Lord. So, so this, is, this is your English translators giving you a clue that these capital letters does not mean in Hebrew, Lord. It does not mean this. And, and so it's, it's our English translators uh, giving you a clue that what, what's actually behind this is, is the letters Y-H-W-H. Y-H-W-H. And that's going to be revealed later on in the story as we go. But this is what the story is about. It's the revealing of this name. And it's the divine name of God. And most likely, likely the way that this name was pronounced is Yahweh. Everyone say Yahweh. Yahweh. Okay, so this is the divine name. And it's going to be revealed. What does this name mean? What does it mean? You know, uh, and this is what we're going to find out. We're going to find, in fact, the, the, the ancient Israelites, Israelites so revered this name. This name was so holy that they wouldn't even say it. In fact, they would replace, in their writings, they would replace this name of Adonai. Or they'll say Adonai. They'll read it, and they won't, they won't read it. They'll say Adonai. They'll say, Lord, Lord. This is what they'll say. They'll see the Yahweh, and they'll say, Lord. This is the Hebrew context. Yahweh is Lord. Okay, Lord, this is what they say. And, and, and they'll replace it. They'll replace it. So let's go to verse, verse 2. There, the angel of? The angel of Yahweh. There, the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, well, that's strange. I've never seen a bush on fire well, and not be consumed. I'm going to go have a look. So he goes over and have a look. So when Yahweh saw that he had gone over to look, Elohim, the spiritual being, called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, the spiritual being said. This Elohim said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is what? Holy ground. What does that mean? What, what, is, what does holy actually mean? Right? And, and already the story, this narrative, it's, it's, telling, it's giving us another, it's revealing another character of who this Elohim, this Yahweh Elohim is. It's revealing, who is this Elohim? Well, this, Elo, this Yahweh Elohim is holy. This Yahweh Elohim is, is holy. And in our society, we kind of use the word holy as, some, as being morally uptight. Well, you know, Elliot, he thinks he's, he thinks he's so holy. You know, we kind of <laughs> think he's, so, he's holier than thou, right? But in the Bible, in the Bible, the word holy means unique. It means different. There's nothing like it. That this, this, this Yahweh Elohim is so unique. There's no one like him. He's so different. There's no other Elohim that can spin creation into being from within who he is. He's so unique. He is so different. This, this, um, this, this is where, where I'm getting it. And, 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 it's, and, you know, if you get invited over to someone's house for dinner, you don't rock up into their house and, and go sit on their dining room table. Right? You don't sit on the dining room table. Have a yarn. Why, why don't you sit on the dining room table? Number one, it's rude. Right? Number two, it's where we put our food. Right? Because that dining room table is sacred. It has a holy purpose. It's been set apart. It has purpose. It's holy. It's sanctified. It's sanctified space, sanctified for food. And now you put your butt on it and you have defiled sanctified space. You have defiled 
defiled, holy space. And this is what we're kind of getting at, that God is so unique, so holy. There's nothing, there's nothing like this being. There's nothing like this Elohim, this spiritual being. He is Yahweh, and there's no one like him. He's holy. He's holy. And, and, and now the Bible is revealing who, this, who, who is this Elohim that we worship. He's unique. He can create all things, and through him all things is created. He's different. And so here we go. Moses finds himself on holy ground. Take off your shoes. Because this is a, a unique experience, right? A unique and holy being that he is coming into proximity with. And then we read into verse 6 of the Bible. Then he said, I am the Elohim of your father. I am the spiritual being of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at this spiritual being, this, this, this Elohim. Then Yahweh said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned. See, can you see what the story is telling us about who this Yahweh Elohim is, that he's concerned, that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them out of their land into, where's, where's he going to take them? He's going to take them into a spacious land. And what's this, what does this land look like? This land is flowing with milk and honey. And I remember reading this verse, I'm thinking, wow, is this land like these like rivers of honey? You know, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Charlie or Chocolate Factory. This is what I'm thinking what this land looks like. It's Charlie and he's, he's like Willy Wonka, right? But this is not what it means. Where, where, where does milk come from? Where do we get milk from? Milk comes from cows, sheep, goats, goats, right? Uh, where, where, where does honey come from? Bees. So this land is full of goats, and it's full of bees. So, so this land that, that God is going to take them, it's already self-generating. You don't have to farm this land. You don't have to cultivate this land. This land is already producing. This is the land that I'm giving you. It's already producing already. As it is, it's already self-producing. And that's what he means by a, a land flowing with milk and honey. You go into verse 9, and, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are impressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So this story is revealing the character of Yahweh, the character of this Yahweh Elohim. And that, that this God, that this Elohim, deeply, deeply cares about how you treat other people. Did you know that? This is what the story is telling us, that God actually deeply cares about how you treat people. How you treat the person in your workplace. How you treat the person in your family. How you treat the place in your, in your place of education. That, godly, that God deeply cares about how you treat one another. This is what the character of God is showing us. What is this Elohim, Yahweh Elohim like? He's, a, he's, a, he's an Elohim that created all things. And there's none like him. No one else can do anything that he can. And he deeply cares about you. And he deeply cares about how you treat each other and those around you. So God is going to do something. God's come down, and he's going to do something. So what does God do? What does it say? And he says, Moses, you go. So how does God do it? How does God rescue his people? He says, Moses, you go. You go. And we're kind of thinking, we kind of think like, because our category of God is that, well, God, you, you, should, you, you need to come down. You need to get involved directly. You need to bring your angels. You need to bring the spiritual tanks and wipe Pharaoh out. You do it. Right? Because this is what we kind of think of God. 
that he's the one that's going to do this. But God doesn't work like that. He almost never works like that. And he almost always works through people, through you, that he's called you. He's called you. You are God's rescue plan. And some of you are thinking, who, me? Wow, man, we're going to be in trouble, right? And we think, well, that's not very efficient. That's not very efficient if you're going to use me. That's not very efficient. But God cares more deeply about shaping and cultivating your character. And that takes time. That's why God doesn't swoop in to save the day. He's more concerned about shaping your character, making you a far better person than when you first started that journey, when you entered the storm, and when you came out of that storm. God is developing and forming you, and this is, what, this is how God does it. He's using you. He's forming you, shaping you. I'm, uh, all the trials that I've been through in my life, I, I, saw, I was wondering, where is God in all this? And it wasn't until I got to the other side that I saw that God was in it all along. And, and if you're honest, you can see that God had been in it, your trials all along, that you were never alone. And who I am today is because of all the hardships, because of all the storms, is who I am today. God is forming you. If, you, if you're in the middle of the storm, what does James say? Count it all joy. Come on. Why? Because God is forming you. He's developing you. Oh, my goodness. Whatever, whatever you see now, I can't wait. What, what's going to happen when you come out of it? Come on. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I? He's trying to back up. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and not bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, wow, looks like I've got the wrong Moses. <laughs> oh, oops, sorry, my bad. It must have been the other flock. The other guy, his name was Moses. I should have checked Facebook. How many Moses are in this area? No, what does God say? He ignores him. What does he say? God said, I will be with you. Cluing into who God is. Revealing who he is. Moses says, I, who am I? I'm not qualified. I'm not experienced. And God says, in essence, it doesn't matter who you are. Because what matters is who I am. And what I am is with you. Did you get that? Many of us, we discount who we are because we're not qualified. I'm too old. I'm too young. And God's saying, look, I care about who you are, but it's about who I am. And who I am is with you. Do you get that? Do you you see the picture of the Bible? It's the story that's telling about who this Yahweh Elohim is. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. What mountain? Mount Sinai. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, and he's still trying to back up, and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you, and and they ask me, what is your name? Then what should I tell them, hoping that God would ignore them again, and okay, I had enough of you. This time God answers them. God said to them, I am who I am. And this this is fundamentally where we get the word Yahweh from. I am who I Yahweh. Yahweh actually means he is what he is, right? In our mouth, it's he is what he is. In God's mouth, it's ehweh, she ehweh, it's Hebrew, and I thought I'd just throw that in there. But it's I am who I am. But in our lips, it's he is who he is. You know, what does that mean? That he is the great I am. I am who I am. What God is saying here is that whatever ever character trait that God displays, he is. That God is not just loving. He is love. That God isn't just a God who upholds justice. He is just. 
that God isn't just merciful, but He is the perfect embodiment. He's the most consistent, reliable picture of mercy that you'll find anywhere in the universe. He is mercy. That's what He means. I am who I am. All these character traits, it's not what I do, it's who I am. And who I am is with you. This is what Yahweh means. Yahweh means I am who I am, and who I am is with you. Do you realize how powerful God's name is? Do you realize that this Yahweh is with you? That's what his, his name is with you. This is in co- contrast to you and I, right? Because you, you and I are only sometimes what we are. Isn't that true? You and I are only sometimes what you are. You're like, you met this amazing guy going out with him. He's like the best guy since sliced bread until you marry him. <sighs> then you realize that he's only sometimes amazing, right? Just ask my wife. <laughs> Just ask my kids. Right? Because we're only sometimes what we are. Right? You can see the difference here. Because Yahweh is always what he is. You can depend on human beings sometimes, but you can always depend on Yahweh because he is what he is. That this God is with us and he cares deeply about the suffering of his people and that when his people are in slavery, he is with them. Which we will say, well, if he's with them, why doesn't he do something about it? Right? Because we got this category of God that he's got to do something, right? Like, we're like, oh, look at all the issues we have in this world. We've got these issues in our schools and our issues in our communities. God, why doesn't God, have you ever had that thought? God, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you do something about it, God? And God does. You know how he does it? By sending you. You are God's plan. You are God's rescue plan. He's called you. He's never, he has never stopped partnering with us in the garden. He never has. We may have given up on him, but he's never given up on you. And when we stop seizing what's right and wrong in our own eyes and we repent and turn away and turn towards him, when we discover God, you discover purpose. And when you discover purpose, your purpose always involves helping people. And God partners with you just like what we're supposed to do in the Garden of Eden to manage his beautiful, good world. He's calling you. He's calling you. Oh, but who am I? Who am I? In essence, it doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who I am, and I am with you. Come on. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 5. I'm going to try to land this plane pretty quick. Sometimes you get too passionate, right? This is the most famous prayer in all of Israel. Verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our Elohim. This Yahweh, he's our Elohim. Yahweh is our spiritual being. You can have all the other spiritual beings, right? But they don't compare to our spiritual being because he's, he created all things. And in him has the power to spin the whole universe. And he's our Elohim. Oh, hear, O Israel, Yahweh, the Lord our God, Yahweh, the Lord, is one. He's the one. He's the one. Love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with your soul and with all your strength. These lines are called the Shema. Shema in Hebrew means to listen. Hear, O Israel, Shema. Shema, Shema, hear, listen, hear. And this prayer has been prayed by devoted Jews for the last 3,000 years, morning, noon, and night. This verse is saying there's lots of Elohims out there. 
There's lots of spiritual beings out there. You can give your allegiance to all these spiritual beings, but not us. We give our allegiance to the one and only Yahweh. I am the I am, and who he is is with us. So when Jesus comes onto the scene, he begins, it's amazing, he begins to both in his teaching and in his action, he's walking around and, and acting like he's Yahweh. Like he scores, a, he stirs a big, there's a big stir in the community. Who does this guy think he is? He thinks he's Yahweh, the way that he's acting. And we're going to get into this as the series progresses. But after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the, the apostles, they, they take the language that, that the Old Testament uses about Yahweh, and then they begin to redefine it and describe who Jesus is. And the Apostle Paul does this amazingly. And, he, and the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church in Corinth, to these new believers, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. And he says this, For although there are many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed, let's be clear, there are many gods and many lords. There are many spiritual beings that you can give your allegiance to. But yet, for us, there is one God. Does that sound familiar? Right? He's riffing off the Shema. We just read the Shema. The Father from whom all things and for whom we exist. The one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. This blows my mind when I read this passage. You know, Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter, and yes, yes, he's responding to a pastoral need, but at the same time, he's doing deep theology. Deep, deep, deep theology, right? And he's, and he's using the language of the Shema. And maybe we don't see it, but I've, I've, if you look on the, on the screen, I've, I've put them side by side. Have a look at this. Well, let's put these, put these verses side by side. Let's look, look. I am who I am. Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, and then here's Paul with, with, with his version of the Shema, right? The Lord, Yahweh our God, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You can give your allegiance to, to all those other gods, but for us, no. Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord is one. He's our one and only, right? There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things. And for when, for all things, I'm not going to go back there. And for whom we exist. And what, is it, what does he say? And one Lord, right? One Lord. Now, who is Paul referring to here when he says one Lord, right? In the Hebrew context, what does Lord mean in Hebrew context? It means Yahweh. Yahweh. You see what the Apostle Paul is doing here? That Jesus this is Yahweh. He's Yahweh in the flesh. That Yahweh loved you so much that he bind himself with flesh and he entered his creation. And that on the cross, he absorbed all your sin, all the pain of this world. And he died for you and he rose again. And all power on heaven and earth has been given to him. He's taken back the authority of the other Elohims. He's taken back their power. They no longer have authority over your life. He took their power off them. These other spiritual beings, you do not need, you no longer need to be under them. But you have the power to walk away. They just lie to you. You no longer have to be under them. He's given you authority because there is no, because every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that who? Jesus is Lord. There is no other name. Wait, wait. If I'm Hebrew, there's no other name like Yahweh. Then, then, then what about Jesus? Yes. Yahweh? Yes. Jesus? Yes. The answer is yes. There is no other name. Yahweh. There is no other name. Jesus. The answer is yes. 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 
Now, when so Paul rips open the Shema and he places Jesus at the center of it. So who is this God that we worship? This God is revealed in the story of the Bible. Eternally exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three, one God. This is the story of our Bible. This is the story of our God. This is who we worship. That I am who I am. And who I am is with you. That's His name. You are not alone. You are not on your own. Come on. So what does it mean for us? It means that if people have disappointed you because people are only sometimes what they say they are. You've been disappointed by people? People let you down. You've done all that you could do. You've tried all that you could try. Maybe people stop believing in you or maybe truth be told, you stop believing in yourself. Come on. But right here, right now, this is true. Right here, right now, you are not alone. Because the I am is here. Jesus is here. He is the way and the truth. He is life. He is the resurrection. Come on. He is the good shepherd. He is love. And He will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm not qualified who am I? I'm from the least of the families. Like, who am I? I'm from South Auckland. Who, who, who am I? I'm, from, I'm from, from the not desirable places. It doesn't matter. In essence, what matters is who I am and who I am is with you. With you. But, you know, I've got disabilities. I've got all these things. God doesn't call the qualified, but He qualifies the court. Someone needs to hear that. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the court. You are qualified because you are called. Come on, what would you do today if you're confident that God is for you, with you, and in you? What would you do today? What would you do in your workplace? What would you do in your place of education? What would you do in your family place if you're confident that God is with you, for you, and in you? I am the I am, and who I am is with you. This is His name. This is Yahweh. This is who He is. The God who spun the universe into creation is deeply concerned about you and how you treat other people. To love God and to love people. John 10, 9, just Jesus, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters in by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. If you want to come on in, come on in. If religion's kept you out, come on in. If sin's kept you out, come on in. I am the door. And when Jesus is the door, nothing can come in except through coming through him. All authority has been given to him. Come on. I am the door. Your ex-husband's not. Your ex-wife isn't. Your dad who wasn't there is not. Your own negative opinion of yourself is not. I am the door. And when I open the door, says the Lord, in your life, no mistake, no sickness, no situation. Even if they rolled the stone on Friday, come on, I am the door. What would you do today if you're confident that God is for you, in you, and with you? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the court. I am who I am, and He is with us. Yahweh. Shema. Listen. Listen. Shema.
Israel Adonai o reino Adonai Oh, 